Lord, we're going to leave this place today better, changed, transformed from the way that we came in today. Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for giving us wisdom. Uh, Lord, thank you for doing a work in our lives, in our minds, in our bodies today, in our families, in our finances. Lord, we just thank you for doing a work in every part of our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Well, I I count it a privilege to be a friend of your pastor. Uh, Pastor Terry and Diane are some of the finest folks anywhere. And you're blessed to have them at the helm of the ship as the pastors of this church. And um, and I I really count it a privilege and a joy to be with you. Um, As Pastor Terry said, my wife and I have been traveling for, it'll be 13 years this May. And uh, as long as I can remember, I don't know when you guys started, but this church has supported us financially every month, like clockwork. Um, and we want to thank you for that, because that allows us to do um, so many of the things that we do. Um, my wife really loves Diane, and my wife's not with me this weekend, but I do want to, if we can pop up that picture, I want to just let you see our family real quick. That's uh, my wife and I on the two ends and in the middle. That's our 31-year-old daughter and our 28-year-old son. Uh, We got to go visit the Grand Canyon in December. Our son lives in Tucson right now. He's getting ready to go to Colorado Springs. And our daughter's in Tulsa, uh, where we are. Uh, But just wanted you to see a picture of the better-looking members of my family. And um, the next slide, we have a slide that uh, shows some of the countries, all the countries, really, that we've ministered in. Over the years, and uh, you guys help us to do that. Um, several of those countries we've been in several times. Uh, this May, I'll be going back to Russia for the sixth trip. Uh, I'll be preaching in Moscow. If you know Rick Renner, I'll be with him again. And from Moscow, we go to, um, I think where we go, we go to Zurich, Switzerland from there. And from Zurich, we go to Geneva. And from Geneva, we go to Berlin, uh, not Berlin, to uh, Munich, Germany. And from Munich, Germany, we'll go to Verona, Italy. And every one of those places will be preaching in churches or Bible schools or both uh, ministers meetings, things of that nature. And um, and you guys help make that possible uh, by helping us. And, and we want to say thank you so much. Um, one of the things that we've seen happen over the last 13 years is we have a website that we put resources on for pastors and missionaries specifically to help church leaders. And it's just grown beyond our wildest imaginations. Uh, last year, we had uh, 230,000, uh, just under, just 231,000 almost, uh, unique visitors from and let me get this number right, 219 nations and territories. There's not that many nations, but we start adding territories on. Came out to 219 nations and territories, and um, we're just kind of amazed at, at you know what God has done to help folks through that. But again, we can't do any of that without the kind of faithful support that you guys have given. So we want to thank you for that and let you know how much we appreciate that. And that's because you guys give faithfully to your local church. And um, 
the best thing you guys can do for world missions and all that type of thing is to give to your local church. Because when the local church is strong, then it's able to have outreaches as well. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your commitment to Summit Church and um, and for just your faithfulness overall. Uh, I want to talk to you today about and and uh, turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to um, uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter six and verse 40. I'm going to be uh, sharing uh, most of my scriptures are going to be from the New King James Version and. Uh, but Pastor Terry is talking about getting school canceled. Uh, a lot of my friends, I checked Facebook this morning and several of my pastor friends in Iowa and Michigan and I don't know where all else are not having church today uh, because of the snow. So I'm glad that we got to have it. Um, so uh, and when I was a kid growing up and school got called off. It was because my dad made the decision. He was the he was the school superintendent. And uh, so I usually was one of the first ones to know uh, I didn't have to turn on the radio because my dad would tell me and uh, he'd, he'd get up at three in the morning if they had snow up in Indiana where I'm from. And he'd drive the county roads and and uh, he'd come home and, you know, make the call because they didn't have cell phones. So he'd have to come home and call. And then, um, you know, I found out early. So that was kind of a cheating way, I guess. But um, I want to share with you today a message called, um, is it live or is it Memorex? How many of you remember that phrase? If you're here in under 40, you probably don't know that. But uh, I went back and checked the date. It was 1974. And this was in the heyday of cassette tapes. How many of you remember cassette tapes? How many of you still have cassette tapes? I've got boxes of them at home. Now, good luck finding a cassette tape player. Uh, I think you can find one, but they're pretty hard to find. That's a, you know, and if you're younger here, that's a, that, that's the old way before CDs, uh, which are almost going out now. Uh, now everything's going digital, um, you know, downloads and things of that nature. But back in the old days, you know, when we just barely had electricity, um, <laughs> They had cassette tapes. And um, in 1974, they had a commercial where a famous uh, lady singer named Ella Fitzgerald. uh, Was that jazz? Is that what she did? Jazz singing? But she could hit those really, really high notes. And I guess she could hit such a high note that she could literally shatter a glass, you know, a goblet type glass. And so the commercial was of her singing and then, you know, and she'd be singing and she'd hit that note and it would bust the glass. But then they would ask the question, was that really her or is that a recording on cassette tape? And, and here was the plug that Memorex was trying to say that our copy, our reproduction is so High quality and so authentic that you really can't tell the difference between the real person and the copy. The the uh, the difference between the original and the copy is indistinguishable because the copy 
is so authentic and the reproduction is so close to the original. And so they'd ask the question, is it live or is it Memorex? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about reproduction quality. Because here's the reality. Each and every one of us was designed by God to be a reproduction of him. We are to be a copy of God. Now, that may sound unusual. And and I want you to understand, I'm not saying you're going to leave this you know, church today and just decide, well, I'm going to go create my own universe. And why don't we just say we're going to be a a reproduction of God on a slightly smaller scale? Would that be all right to say? And the verse we want to start with is what Jesus himself said in Luke chapter six, verse 40. He said a disciple, that means a student. When we talk about the disciples of Jesus, we're talking about his students A disciple, a student, is not above his teacher, not superior to his teacher, not better than his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained, um, what would you say of a person who is perfectly trained? That means they've studied, they've followed, they've listened, they've endeavored to, you know, incorporate those lessons into their life. Every student who has been perfectly or fully trained will be what? Will be like his teacher. Now, I know Pastor Terry used to teach school. Any other teachers here? Any other? What do you teach? High school math. A reading specialist. College communications. Awesome. I I appreciate teachers. My wife's mom and dad were both teachers. My dad was a teacher before he went into administration. My mom's dad was a school principal and teacher and all that. So I come from a long line of of teachers. And, um, you know, Western education uh, is really based on what is called the Greek model, which goes all the way back to Aristotle. Uh, Greek education, the Greek educational system is a little bit different, kind of a lot different than the Hebrew or the Eastern system of education. Um, and Jesus was talking as an Easterner, not as a Westerner. Um, and I'm not talking about east of the Mississippi or, you know, I'm talking about the, the east, the, you know, the uh, uh, area of Israel and, and beyond. And their idea of education was different than what the Greeks had established. The Greeks had established a system that was pretty much lecture oriented and, you know, uh, that type of thing. But the, the Hebrews with their rabbis had a system that was different where the students would actually travel with the, the teacher. And it wasn't just a classroom setting. It was more of an ongoing lifestyle, um, you know, personal interaction type model. And the goal in, in the Hebrew model of education was not simply the transmission of information, but the transformation of character. 
See, Jesus did not say, because he was coming from that Hebrew mindset, Jesus did not say every student who is perfectly trained will know what his teacher knows. Now, I have a confession to make as a former student. Um, there were many times that I studied for tests just to pass the test. Now, I know that's a shock because I know nobody else did that except me. I know that I, I, I did really badly in math and chemistry. Those were just mm, my brain just didn't get it. And so I admire you guys that are great math students. I'm, I'm there's a part of my brain that's not there or something because I really struggled in math. But history and English were, were very easy for me. But regardless of the subject, there were many uh, classes I took where I would I would cram to be able to regurgitate answers on a test in order to get a grade on a test. But I'll be honest with you, once the test was over, that knowledge was gone forever. But in the Hebrew model of education, it wasn't about transmission of information. That was a part. But the major part of Hebrew education was the character, not just the intellect. The character of the student was to be actually changed and transformed where they would be like the teacher. So there's another verse, and I don't know if you, do you have the Amplified Bible back there? If you have the Amplified, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. So according to Jesus, the goal of Bible teaching, the goal of spiritual ministry, is not simply the transmission of information, but the transformation of character. Our goal is not just to know what the teacher knows, but to become like the teacher. Now, that puts a lot of responsibility on the Christian pastor, you know, teacher. The, the easiest thing that Pastor Terry and I ever do is get up and teach the Bible. You know what the hardest thing we do is we have to live it. And we, we, may, we may have a call from God to teach the Bible. We may even have an anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach the Bible. But we don't get some special free pass when it comes to being changed by the Bible. We have to go through the same process of growth and maturity and, you know, crucifying the flesh and... Getting our mind renewed that every other believer has. So to me, the challenging thing about ministry is not teaching the Bible. That's easy. The challenging thing is that I have to actually embody that and, and not that I'm perfect at anything, but, but to, to be what I teach. See, you, let me illustrate it this way. It is so easy for me. When you have been offended by somebody, when somebody has betrayed you or hurt your feelings, do you know what's so easy for me to do is to get up and read you some Bible passages about how you are supposed to forgive? 
That's easy. But you know what's hard is that when somebody has offended me, somebody has betrayed me, somebody has hurt my feelings deeply, that I actually have to do the same forgiveness stuff that I tell somebody else to do. It's easy for me to tell you to do it, but it's more challenging to actually be that. Now, in Ephesians 5, in the Amplified, we're talking about is it live or is it memorex? We're talking about the fact that you and I are to be are to be like Jesus, transformed character, and that, that our reproduction quality is supposed to be so high that in a certain way, it, you know, we it's hard to distinguish between us and God. And, and I mean that in, in kind of a general sense. I mean, you can pretty much look at me and say, yeah, he's not God. You know, I know, no question about that. But, but hopefully in my life, there are enough attributes of God likeness, Christ likeness, that the same kind of kindness that might come out of my life hopefully would remind you of how kind God is. That the kind of mercy that comes out of my life would remind you of the kind of mercy that Jesus would show. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about where to. And, and this is what it says. Ephesians 5 1 says, therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example as well beloved children imitate their father. Can we read that again? Therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example as well-beloved children imitate their father. See, here's the truth. That is that most unbelievers aren't going to pick up a Bible and read it. In a sense, you are the only Bible they are going to read. You are the Bible that they're going to read. Most people, unbelievers, aren't going to see Jesus. You know, they're going to see Jesus through you. You're the only Bible some people will ever read. So we want to make sure that our lives are a good translation. I don't want to be a mistranslation. And we want to be a good representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever prayed? Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever prayed, God, I want to be like Jesus? Let me see your hand. I want to be like Jesus. That's a very appropriate prayer to pray. Just make sure that you really are ready to go through the process, you know, of, of because that means we have to begin to think like him. We have to embrace his attitude. You know, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve, um, you know, Jesus came to lay down his life for others. Jesus came so that other people could have life and that other people could have life more abundantly. So when we pray that, God, I want to be like Jesus, you know, the average Christian in America is really kind of a consumer of Christianity. They're not necessarily wired to be distributors of the goods and the goodness of God. And so when we pray, God, make me like Jesus, 
Um, that's exactly God's desire for your life. The Bible says that Jesus did all that he did so that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. So Jesus, and I think that Greek word, if I'm not mistaken, is prototokos, where we probably get the word prototype. Um, you know, so that's a, a really interesting growth, um, you know, proposition that we're saying, God, I want you to change me, make me, mold me, transform me. Uh, Jesus certainly didn't live for himself. You know, he didn't put himself first. He always put others first. He always put the will of God ahead of his own personal ambitions and personal interests. So, you know, to say that we want to be like Jesus is exactly what God is desiring. But we also need to be ready to pay the price and and be ready to yield to a, a deep working of God in our lives. Here, here's see, God wants us to be spirit born. That's the first place we start off being born of the spirit. And and that way we become like Jesus on the inside. But it hasn't necessarily translated to the outside yet. But Jesus not only wants us to be spirit born, but then he wants us to be spirit filled, filled with the spirit. Then he wants us to be spirit led, led by the spirit, which means I don't get to be led by the flesh. You know, I I have to be led by the spirit. And then finally, spirit born, spirit filled, spirit led. Jesus also wants me to be spirit formed. That means that uh, my my attitude, thinking, character is formed uh, so that I can really outwardly live according to uh, his nature, his character and that type of thing. But let me show you a couple of scriptures. If we're going to be like Jesus, John chapter nine, verse four, John chapter nine, verse four, Jesus said, I must, I must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. Jesus recognized a couple of things. Number one, he recognized that opportunities are limited. I I don't have the next 80 years to do something for God. Um, I'm 55 years old, so I plan to live a good long life here on this earth. Um, but I, I want to some so many people are always putting off. Well, I'll do something for God tomorrow. I'll give generously tomorrow. I'll volunteer in the church tomorrow. And and I don't say this to put any pressure, panic, anything like that. But but the only moment we really have is today. And I don't want to get caught behind the eight ball. I don't want to get caught procrastinating, always saying I'll give God something later. You know, I want to give God the best I have now and not not just say, well, I'll give God something great later. So Jesus recognized that the night is coming when no one can work. Um, but also Jesus, not only did he recognize that opportunities are limited and must be seized while they're available, but Jesus also to him working for God or doing something for God 
was not an option to Jesus. It was an imperative. Jesus didn't say, I might do the works of God. He said, I must do the works of him that sent me. Jesus had a sense of mission. Jesus had a sense of destiny, uh, a sense of really of urgency about doing the will of God. And how many of you, you know, you think about Jesus and ask yourself this question. How determined was Jesus to do the will of God? He was, you know, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Do you know the reason he said not my will, but your will be done is when he got to looking at the cross, <clears throat> there is a part of him that said, I don't want to do that. Understandably, Jesus was fully God and fully man. But I'll tell you what, the man side of him, you know, there was a part that, you know, just didn't want to do. I think our flesh, we all seek comfort and convenience rather than commitment and consecration. This is just our nature of our flesh to gravitate toward You know what's most comfortable, what's most convenient, that type of thing. But sometimes the will of God asks us to surrender the comfort of the flesh, surrender our personal preferences, and do what's best for others and do what's best for the glory of God. And so Jesus had this this imperative sense of urgency. I must do the works of him who sent me. Uh, it wasn't an issue of convenience. It wasn't an issue of, well, I'll do it when I get around to it. It was a rock solid resolve to do the will of God. So if we're going to be like Jesus, then are we going to share that same consecration? Now, here's something in John chapter 21. I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verse 21. John chapter 20, verse 21 Uh, It says, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Now, if you were visiting with somebody who had just died three days before, uh, you might need somebody to say peace to you also. You know, Jesus is talking to them right after the resurrection. Jesus said to them, peace to you. And then it says, as the father has sent me, I also send you. We're talking about, is it live or is it Memorex? How is our reproduction quality? Is what we have allowed God to reproduce in our life so similar to the original that we are mirroring the very attitude, actions, thoughts of Jesus See, a lot of times it's easy for us to say Jesus was 1,000% committed to do the will of God. And man, what if Jesus had backed out? What if Jesus at the last minute had said, no, the price is too great. I don't want to die on the cross. I'm not going to go through with it. My comfort and convenience is more important than the will of God. We'd all be lost. We would have no Savior. There would have been no blood shed for the remission of our sin. We'd all still be lost and dead in our sin. But because Jesus did what he was supposed to do, we all now have redemption and every good thing. But Jesus said, as my father sent me, 
That's the same way I'm sending you. Do we as believers have as much of a sense of mission as what Jesus had? Do we believe that our role and our responsibilities in the earth are as significant as what Jesus carried out? Now, I understand I'm not going to die on the cross for anybody's sins. You know, we're not going to do that in that sense. But at the same time, you and I are called to be ambassadors of Jesus. We are his representatives. We are his delegates in the earth. And if the church doesn't do what the church is supposed to do, then in a sense, what Jesus did to some degree is in vain. Because we are the ones that represent him in the world. Like I said, the world will never see Jesus. They will only see us representing Jesus. The world, most of them will never read the Bible. They will only read our lives, which are supposed to be living epistles. Now, another verse, John chapter 14, verse 12. Pastor Terry and I talked about this on the way to church today. And it's a verse that's really been, um, a lot of people have had a lot of questions about this verse. John chapter 14, verse 12. We're talking again about reproducing Jesus, letting God's life be reproduced in and through our lives. In John 14, 12, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. How many of you believe in him? Jesus said, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Well, tell me, somebody tell me what kind of works Jesus did. Healing was one of his works. What else? Teaching. Casting out devils. Raising the dead. Feeding people. Loving people. Yeah, being kind, showing compassion, showing mercy. You know, so to say right there, if we just stopped and said, okay, we are supposed to do the works of Jesus... How many of you know that right there can be pretty intimidating? Those are some pretty tall orders. Um, I've never I've been in ministry for 30 plus years. I've I've never raised anybody from the dead. But but I know some people have been. I haven't been involved in it personally. So I'm not going to let what I haven't done keep me from doing what I can do. Um. But Jesus said, you'll we'll do these things. Why? Because he's going to the father. Well, that's kind of New Testament code for and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You understand, I can't raise a dead person. I can't heal a sick person. I can't, you know, really, in a sense, I can't do anything. But the Holy Spirit who has come to live in my life, he would be the one that would do that kind of thing. But he does it through us. But not only did Jesus say that we would do the works that he did, but what else did he say we do? And greater works. Well, Pastor Terry and I were talking about how are you going to get better than raising the dead? What are you going to do that's better than that? 
What? Yeah, I've raised a lot of them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You've got smart church people here. Um, uh, yeah, do a wholesale. Uh, uh, you know, what's better than walking on water? Uh, you know, what's better than healing the lame? You know, and so I don't think we're necessarily going to improve on the quality of what Jesus did. But what could the greater works be? Let me give you four thoughts here. Number one, I believe that we, the church and individuals can do greater works than Jesus did geographically. Because everything Jesus did was right there in Israel. Little tiny. Jesus didn't travel very far. You know, I mean, when he was a little child, they took him to Egypt and came back to Israel when he's a little bit older. But as an adult, as a preacher, Jesus really never traveled very far from his home. And so the church believers can do greater things, greater geographically. You know, Jesus just ministered in Israel, but he told his disciples to go into all the nations, all the world. And not only did his first century followers do that. If you go back and study, you find out that, you know, five of Jesus' original apostles actually made it up into the parts that used to be part of the Soviet Empire. Thomas and Bartholomew made it all the way over to India. Um, different ones. You know, Paul got into um, Greece and Turkey and Rome and all that. Some believe he may have made it over to Spain. You know, so uh, Mark made it over into northern Africa, into Alexandria, Egypt. So geographically, the, the early believers did something greater than Jesus geographically. Um, of course, today there's believers everywhere. So are we doing greater works? Well, in that sense, yes. Um, we, we are doing greater works than Jesus numerically. Because all the works that Jesus did uh, when he was here on this earth happened through the context of his personal physical body, which was restricted to one location at one time. And once the Holy Spirit came, once Jesus went to the Father and the Spirit came, now on the day of Pentecost, 120 people are filled with the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that did the wonderful works through Jesus. I have kind of a, this is a bad illustration, if you'll forgive me for this. Um, but when I was early, in my early marriage with Lisa, I was out in the garage and um, I saw this spider. That's why I said it's a bad illustration. I'm sorry. But this spider had this, whatever part of the body it is, but part of the body of this spider was just big and fat. And I just thought, I... I hate spiders. And I took something and hit that spider. And when I hit that spider, I think I killed it. But that big fat part burst open and hundreds of little spiders go. And I just, ah, ah, I hated that. And um, so, that, yeah, I'm sorry. That's why I said it's a bad illustration. But but when Jesus was raised from the dead. It's like that Satan thought he had killed Jesus. I've taken Jesus out and all that. But the next thing you know, there's thousands of us running around. Yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's, try to uh, get that out of your mind. But 
But today, every believer that is born of God has the privilege of being spirit born, spirit filled, spirit led and spirit formed. And we get to be Jesus in the earth to people. And, I, you know, we don't confuse ourselves with him in reality, but we get to be his ambassadors, his spokesmen, his representatives. Um, number three, now, don't don't shut me out until you've heard me explain this, because your initial reaction is going to be no way. But listen to this. Number three, our works can be greater than Jesus works spiritually. See, the early disciples, and anything that applied to them applies to us, because it's all part of the same progression. We're just in different generations, but we're new covenant believers just like they were. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven and shed the Holy Spirit upon the earth, the Father gave the Spirit when Jesus went up. Nobody had ever been born again. Nobody had ever been Spirit-filled under Jesus' ministry. Now, once Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit, then people could be born again. Then people could be Spirit-filled. So, we get to lead people into the new birth. We get to lead people into the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, Jesus didn't do that while he was on earth because the spirit had not yet come. So in that sense, we get to do a greater work spiritually than Jesus did. And number four, this is our final point here. Their works and the works of all believers have been greater than Jesus works in scope, in scope. Not only did the early believers continue Jesus' works in terms of teaching, preaching, and healing, but they did something Jesus never did, and that is they began to build fully constituted local churches. Jesus talked about the church. He said, I will build my church, but it was the original believers and, you know, that we get, they got to do and we get to do what Jesus never did, build fully constituted. And by constituted, I mean with a pastor set in place in a local congregation. We, that's a greater work than what Jesus ever did. In addition to that, if you stop and think about it, the church believers for centuries have been building orphanages, schools, homeless shelters, hospitals, Publishing houses that would print millions of books and tracts, um, radio and television stations that would broadcast the gospel to multitudes, satellite and Internet technology that takes the gospel to every corner of the world, evangelists and missionaries that that conduct mass healing crusades and reach millions of lost and hurting people with the message and the power of God's love. You know, we're part of something awesome. Now, can any one of us do all those things individually? No. But you put us all together. You put our talents and our gifts together. You put our resources together. And we 
have been and are doing and will continue to do the works of Jesus in the earth. Is it live or is it Memorex? Are we reproducing Jesus in such a way so that the quality of what we are doing is indistinguishable from the quality of what he did? Now, listen, that's challenging. And we don't need to be discouraged. We don't need to be down on ourselves because, well, I've never raised the dead. You know, never, you know. But, but what are we doing? What are we doing? We're being a witness. We're letting our light shine. Um, you know, if I read the New Testament right, we all have different tools. Some people specifically operate in the working of miracles. Some people specifically operate in gifts of healings. So if you don't just tend to operate in those things, I don't tend to operate in those things. God put me in the church as a teacher. So I'm going to try to do that part the best I can. Uh, some people, God puts them in the church as the ministry of helps. Some people, you know, we all have different things. So let's not look at the big picture of what Jesus did and then feel inadequate because we're not doing it all. But let's look at Jesus and appreciate all that he did and realize that there are some people who are gifted to do certain parts and other parts. But let's just do our part. Let's just do the part he gave us to do. But know that when God looks at it from heaven, you know, I've got friends who... Who, who do overseas crusades to 40,000 people, 50,000 people. I, I have friends who have had the dead raised under their ministry. Um, I don't feel bad because that hasn't happened under my ministry. I just say that's the assignment that God gave them. Praise God, I want them to do his assignment for their life. I'm just going to do my assignment for my life. But when you put it all together... Then we get the whole picture. Okay? A couple of scriptures in closing here. Um, how do we do this? I want you to look at Galatians 2.20. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I don't, want, I don't want this message to intimidate anybody. I want this message to inspire you. I, I don't want you to look at this and say, well, I don't feel like I'm doing that much. I want you to look at this and saying, I'm doing what I can do. And thank God other people are doing what they can do. And also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow in this so I can do better. But I don't want anybody feeling condemned or, or guilty or pressured. Uh, I want us to learn how to really fully yield to the life of God on the inside of us. Okay? Let me say this. We're talking about the fact that Jesus said that if we are his student and we've been perfectly trained that we will be like him. And Paul said, imitate God and those kind of things, copy him and all that. You aren't going to be able to do that in your own flesh. You aren't going to be able to do that in your own effort. So, you know, what if I was to, you know, have one of you come up here and say, okay, now I want you to try real hard, act like God. Well, what are you going to do? You know, do you flex or, 
you know, what do you do to act like God? There's nothing you can do fleshly effort wise that's going to make you more like God or make you more like Jesus. Uh, It's what God does on the inside of you that makes you more like Jesus. So it's not going to what I'm teaching today is not going to be accomplished by your gritting your teeth and grunting and groaning and trying real hard. What we're talking about today is going to happen as we let him be big on the inside of us. We acknowledge the greater one who's already in us. Brother Hagen had an old saying, Pastor Terry, you'll remember this. He would quote first John four, four greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And he'd remind us God's inside of us. How many of you know we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. So God's already on the inside of us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We're not going to become more like him by trying to be more like him. We're going to become more like him. Brother Hagin, this is the phrase he used. We need to be more God inside minded. God inside minded. He's already on the inside of us. And, and a lot of this is just learning to yield and cooperate with the one who's already in us. Galatians 2.20. This is such an interesting statement because it seems kind of like an oxymoron or a paradox. You know, kind of seems self-contradictory. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that at the beginning? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live. You see how that kind of bounces back and forth? It's kind of like Paul saying, well, I'm living... But it's not really me that's living. It's him that's living in me and him that's living through me. And and that to me just speaks of a mindset that you and I can embrace and adopt. You know, we don't wake up in the morning and say, "Okay, God, here's all the things I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm you know, you're telling God all the things you're going to do for him. So what does that make God? That makes him a, a bystander. That makes him an an outside observer. Okay, I'll go watch you do all these things. Have at it, tiger. (laughs) But what if instead in the morning we got up and said, God, you know what? It's no longer I that live. Christ lives in me. And Lord, today I'm I'm authorizing you to live big through me and in me. God, thank your thoughts through me. God, let your compassion uh, of the Holy Spirit be released Through me. What if instead of trying in the flesh to do things for God, we learn to yield to Him and let Him do it through us? A few years ago, well, a few years ago, it was uh, 15 years ago, um, my wife and I had never been snow skiing in our lives. And, um, And to be honest, I didn't have much of an interest in it. 
But our kids wanted to go snow skiing. So I, I, this is when we were still on staff at Rama, And um, I, we had an invitation to preach over spring break at, um, up in Spokane, Washington. And Spokane, Washington's on the very eastern side of the state, just a few miles, maybe 20 miles from the Idaho border. And you get into Idaho and there's some pretty nice skiing up there. So we just paid the extra money and took our kids with us. And they were, I don't know how old they were. They were mid-teenage years and all that. So we'd, we'd go to this ski resort, you know, after we'd preached at this church. And, you know, we get all the equipment and all that type of thing. And uh, we go out and we take a little lesson or two. And, man, my kids picked up on it just like that. I mean, they learned. They were young. They are agile and stuff like that. I just didn't get it. I, and I kept falling down. And, I, you know, I was trying to be a good family guy. So I go up with my kids to one of these steeper deals. And I, I spent the whole time going down on my back. And I just, you know, after one attempt at that, I just said, kids, I hate this. I said, you guys are having a blast. You guys go and, and there's a fire in there with hot chocolate. And I, I want the hot chocolate in the fire. I don't want this. And I don't know if I was, you know, I wasn't motivated enough, but I just didn't really have the energy to try to learn. I tried a little bit, but it was hard. And I just didn't, you know, I wasn't that determined, wasn't that resolved. But what would happen? What would happen if instead of me trying to learn how to ski, I could have somehow taken. Now, this will age me, but I remember they had a a skier back in the Olympics in the 70s, Jean-Claude Keeley. Do you remember that? And he was, you know, I don't know who all the modern good skiers are. But what if somehow I could take an Olympic gold medalist skier and somehow... Just deposit them inside of me. Let them inhabit my body for that moment. I know this is unrealistic, but but what if instead of me trying to learn to ski, I could put that Olympic gold medalist inside of my body and let them do what they already know how to do. Do the balance, do the weight shifting, do all whatever's involved. And, and I just yield to them doing it through me. I'd still have to go out on the snow, the slope. I'd still have to put on the gear. But, but if I could do that in a partnership with a greater skier on the inside of me, wouldn't that have been awesome? And boy, it would have impressed my kids a lot. But I enjoyed the hot chocolate anyway. But I'm not sure when it comes to the spiritual realm, I'm not sure that that's a real bad example of what it means to yield our lives and really let Christ live in us and through us. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he lives on the inside of me. First Corinthians 15. This will be our last scripture and then I'll share one story. First Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
First Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I did what? I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. But the grace of God which was with me. Do you see the similarity between that verse and the Galatians verse? In Galatians, he's talking about Christ. Here he's talking about grace. But in both cases, Paul is saying, I did this stuff. But it really wasn't me. It was Christ in me. And here he's saying it was the grace of God on the inside of me. See, what Paul is saying is that in his life, the reproduction quality between Christ and his life, the reproduction quality was so high that Paul really couldn't tell. Is this me doing it or is it Christ doing it through me? Is it me doing something? It's kind of because I'm laboring, but but it's not really me doing it. It's the grace of God doing it through me. That to me is amazing. You say, Tony, do you have that perfectly operating in your life? No, I don't think so, because every once in a while I demonstrate some stuff that doesn't look very much like Jesus. But my aspiration is, is to have him expressed through me on a on an ongoing, regular basis so that I can just say with Paul, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of him. And it's no longer I that liveth, but it's Christ living in me. I'm laboring. I'm doing different things. But in reality, it's not really me. It's the grace of God doing it through me. See, grace doesn't make labor unnecessary. Grace empowers your labors and infuses your labors so that when you labor for God, in a sense, you can say, I'm laboring, but it's really him laboring through me. See, our, our, our reproduction quality is so close, you can't tell where God begins and where we end. Let me share this story with you in closing. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but it's, if, if you ever find out this is not true, don't tell me because I, I want to believe this is true. <laughs> it's a great story. And if it's not, if it's more of a fictitious story, it still illustrates a true point. So... But the story is told that many years ago, a famous actor was at an after was an after dinner speaker at a big fundraising function. And he was well known for his majestic voice and his dynamic oratorical skills. And he thrilled the audience as he recited passages from great plays from Shakespeare Poems, literature, you know, just with this magnificent, amazing voice. And at the end of his portion, at the end of his presentation, he invited the audience to choose a poem for him to recite in closing. He was going to let them pick something. And there was a long silence until an older gentleman raised his hand 
and said, would you please do the 23rd Psalm? And the actor said, well, I, I yes, I would. But he said, tell me, sir, about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? And, and the old man said, well, I, I'm a preacher. And the actor said this. He says, well, I'll tell you what, I will recite the 23rd Psalm under one condition. That after I do my rendition of it, he said, come on up here. I want you to stand beside me and I want you to do your rendition of it. And so the minister was kind of embarrassed, but he, he came up. And, and of course, the actor, with all of his eloquence, you know, get, went through the 23rd Psalm in, you know, perfect cadence and elocution, articulation. You know, it was just a masterpiece of an oration. And, and when he was finished, the crowd, you know, clapped. And then he said, now, Reverend, it's your turn. And, and the minister humbly bowed his head and began to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And gave a rather plain, but there was something heartfelt. There was something, there was something in his rendition of the 23rd Psalm that moved many of the people in the audience to tears. And when he finished, there was no clapping. But, but people were visibly moved. And the actor reached over and put his arm around him and he said, I, I need to tell you something. He said, the difference between my version and his version is this. He said, I know the 23rd Psalm. But he knows the shepherd. There's something more about doing the works of Jesus than just the external actions. There's something about a transformed character where he can really come out through us almost like we are radioactive with God. There was a, this is my final, I, I don't mean to have two closing, but this is, this is the, the real honest last thing. There was a, a Bible teacher in a Sunday school class. And this teacher in this Sunday school class was known for being very smart, knowing a lot of the Bible. And um, he taught a lesson in his Sunday school class. And... After class, he got a note from from one of his parishioners. And this, you know, apparently somebody that really do we have any English teachers here in English. You teach English at what level? High school, level, college level. You know, you can tell by the, the writing of what this person said on the note that they were pretty, you know, good with words. And what the note said to the teacher was this very short note. But the note said, for me, t'was not the truth you taught. To you, the teacher, to you, so clear. But the person writing the note said, but to me, so dim. Meaning, I, I didn't really understand everything in your lesson. For me, t'was not the truth you taught. To you, so clear. 
to me so dim. But when you came just now, you brought a sense of Him. I don't know about you, but that challenges me. It challenges me to make sure that my life isn't just so full of clutter and distractions and distress. I mean, we all face junk in life. But, but I want to have a relationship with God where I'm able to, you know, cast all that stuff on Him and come into such a place of peace that when I go about my life and people interact with me, they catch a sense of Him. I don't just want them to sense that I know the psalm. I want them to sense that I know the shepherd. And that's not just because I'm a preacher. But I think every believer, Jesus said, he that believes on me, the works that I do. Not just if you're a preacher. It's every believer. Every student. How many of you are a student of Jesus? Every student who has been fully trained will be like his teacher. We're called to imitate God. To copy Him as beloved children imitate their Father. Lord, I want to thank You today for this time. I want to thank You for Your presence and You're so good. And Lord, You invite us to come boldly into Your presence. And Lord, every person here, we've all needed forgiveness in our lives. But we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus. We're so thankful today, Lord, that nothing has to stand between us and you. We're so thankful that we don't have to have any barriers in our relationship with you. That, Lord, we can stand and approach you unhindered and and without bondage, without chains. And, Lord, we just thank you today that we have the privilege of being changed and transformed. Lord, not one of us has achieved the full perfection of what we've been talking about today. Every single one of us is growing. Every single one of us has room to mature and to improve. But Father, we thank you today that you're inviting us without condemnation, without shame, to step into that growing process. And so, Father, today we just set our hearts for your will to be done in us as it is in heaven. For the plans and the purposes that you have in us. To be so fully accomplished and fully achieved that we'll be able to say with Paul, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. So we'll be able to say with Paul, I I labored, I worked, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God. Lord, we want to be that fragrant aroma of Christ everywhere we go. We want people to know that we've been with Jesus. Father, thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name.